everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, Triple H, WWE legend, says his in-ring days are over. We will discuss his history and his legacy. I'll also tell you what the stakes are for the main event of UFC Columbus between heavyweights Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins. Will the winner get a title shot or will they just stay where they are? Triple H, uh, WWE legend, part of D-Generation X. I could go on and on and on about all of his accomplishments, WrestleMania, Intercontinental Champion, incredible stuff this guy has has done in the ring. He was on uh, Stephen A. Smith's show talking about, of course, his recent health issues and how that affects his ability to compete going forward. This is what he had to say about his competition future. As great of an executive as you are, you're also a great champion. What does the future hold for Triple H right now? That's what people want to know. Yeah. What do you say to them when asked, when asked that question? Well, for, for me, you know, as far as in-ring, which I get a lot, I'm done. You'll you know, never fight. You, I, I, I won't, no. I will never wrestle again. First of all, I have a defibrillator in my chest, which, you know, yeah. probably not a good idea for me to get zapped on live TV. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... This is not a surprise to anyone in the know who's been following Triple H recently. So what happened was, and he opened up and talked about this, uh, last September he had viral pneumonia. He was spitting up blood. His wife, Stephanie McMahon, took him to the hospital. He was experiencing cardiac issues. His heart wasn't pumping enough. He was in heart failure at the time. Fluid around his lungs. Flew it around his heart. And he said, I was nosediving and sort of at the one-yard line of where you don't want to be for your family and your future. We have three young girls, 15, 13, 11. Suddenly I come home. Uh, I'm a little bit sick. And their dad, who's strong always, is in the hospital. I, and, and this is uh, – well, this must be Stephanie talking. Uh, oh, no, no. He's talking from his, his daughter's point of view. I'm sorry. Who's always strong is in the hospital. I don't know if they understood the consequences of it, but there's moments when you think, this is it. Do you wake up? That's tough to swallow. It makes you think differently. Um, it makes you feel differently about your life. It doesn't make you any less driven for the things you do, but it certainly makes you appreciate what you have more. He is done competing. A four-time world, 14-time world champion WWE. Also an executive with the WWE. And with all he went through, we knew he was having cardiac issues. That was you know public knowledge. Uh, the idea that he's done with in-ring competition is not surprising at all. You don't have cardiac issues and then, oh, I think I'll compete. And you know, Especially at his age and what he's been through, you don't want to do anything like that. I will tell one story about Triple H. My, the first time I worked at all for the WWE was backstage at uh, NXT. I did like pre-show stuff for them for NXT. And I did my thing, and NXT is kind of his baby. And I go backstage after I'm done, and the matches are now going on because the pre-show's over, and I'm, I'm just sitting there watching the matches. And Triple H takes the time to come up to me and say, hey, Jimmy Smith. And I go, hey, how you doing, man? He's like, dude, I just want you to know I'm a big fan. I think you're doing great work, man. It's great to have you here. I said, thank you. I, I, I was, like, a little shocked, I got to say. On the way home from my first Monday Night Raw, when I'm not sure how I did, if I was good enough, if I'm what they're looking for, I'm still really nervous. I'm still really nervous about everything. And who do I get a message from, man, but Triple H 
on my phone going, hey, man, this is Triple H. I thought you did a phenomenal job. I think you're great. If there's anything you need, man, reach out and let me know. And to hear that from an icon like Triple H, really, who knows this business, not just like, oh, as a fanboy, just someone who knows the business well and, and puts their hand in the shoulders, hey, man, you're doing a great job. We really appreciate it. It really does mean a lot. He is a, a really, in my experience, a really nice guy who went out of his way to make somebody who's new in this industry, in this business, feel welcome. And that means a lot. That meant a lot to me. KOB, the, the ascension of Triple H as a superstar, really happened during your fandom. It happened later. It happened past my fandom, which, you know, like I said, I stopped watching in the early 90s, late 90s, 2000s. The, Triple H was the man. Uh, how did you feel about him, man, as, as a pro wrestling fan? Early on in the, in the early triple, like, Hunter Hearst Helmsley making him this, you know, rich regal guy, I wasn't too into right. it. But when he got started doing stuff with Shawn Michaels and DX. Degeneration X. So right? much fun. Yeah. And then, like, even when you get older and you realize that, like, of all the people, like, that we talked about with Scott Hall, the curtain call moment where they all broke kayfabe and showed yes. that they were friends. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left. Shawn Michaels was champion at the time. Triple H was the one who paid the price for that whole yes. thing. Like he was buried for a while in bad matches that really like hindered his career and really took the brunt of it. So he got and he through took all that, took it, dealt with it. You had DX, which was awesome. For me, I was so psyched because I was a big New Age Outlaws fan. So when they joined yep. DX, I was like in my glory. It's my favorite wrestling stable of all time. Uh, and they just did so many fun things. And like they really seemed like they were having fun doing this angle of DX, just, you know, sticking their nose up at the establishment, being those guys. It, Triple H was, was a ma major part of, like, my t my pro wrestling watching at that time. How did you feel when he had his health issue last year? I was, you know, I was hoping yeah. he'd pull through, man. I know, I, and, and I, I always see and hear great things about Triple H from people yeah. behind the scenes yeah. saying, like, dude, he's, he's amazing. He, he hands people opportunities here and there, gives them a chance to, to, to prosper and shine. I don't. Aside from his early days with the click, when they were saying that, like you know, him, Shawn Michaels, Scott Hall controlled who controlled who got booked, who didn't. I have never really heard anyone say anything too bad about Triple H in the management role and, and what he's doing for the business. Yeah, my experience once again with him is is pretty limited. He doesn't work on Raw. I don't see him on Raw. Uh, but the times I did in, in NXT really meant a lot because the kind of the measure of someone's character is how they treat somebody they don't have to be nice to. You know, how do they treat somebody who's below them or someone who's new or someone who, how somebody treats a valet or a server or any of these things indicates how they really are because they're not trying to get something from that person. That person can't really do anything for them. It's just, are you nice to the guy opening the door for you to a hotel or are you not? And it may be weird, but I kind of put myself in that category my first day in the WWE. I didn't know if I was going to be working again. They were just trying me out. You know what I mean? Didn't have a contract or anything. And Triple H went out of his way to tell me I did a great job, and he really appreciated it, and, you know, that he was a fan. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And, once again, the end of his in-ring career, uh, he hasn't actually been in the ring since 2019. It was an untelevised show in Tokyo. was his last one. So, it's been a while anyway. He's at the point in his life where I, I, I certainly hope he wouldn't have to come back and do anything. He's an executive of the WWE. His wife is Stephanie McMahon. I think he's okay. Um, 
but there is kind of this, all right, in totality, we can look back on your career. We can. There's not going to be a desperation comeback where he's in the indies because he's out of money, and I don't think we're ever going to see that from Triple H. But so there is kind of a, a, a nice, and I'm sorry it had to come at the expense of his health. I'm sorry it had to come because you know he had heart surgery and whatever. But I, I, I'm glad in a sense that we won't have that. Did you get the feeling he'll come back because he needs to, or ha- feels like there's something to prove? All you can hope. Whenever you're done with your career and in a more existential sense, your life, when it's over, just go, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm satisfied with what I did. And KOB as a fan, how much did you get out of Triple H in his career? Like a ton. Yeah. I mean, there might there might still be a VHS floating around my house. I used to literally record every Degeneration X match, like every Raw. Every, not even every Raw, but it was like Raw, SmackDown, everything that they yeah. were on. I would, I would record the match. I probably have a bunch of Triple H matches sitting on there. Happy when he won the belt too. Like, yeah, did, the guy did everything. Was a major part of the Attitude Era that helped push the like, yeah. DX versus WCW. Like when they stormed Huge. the WCW, like yeah. during the Monday Night Wars, was massive. He again, like like Scott Hall, he's a part of like this this push forward of like really making pro wrestling mainstream. And getting crossover appeal, so yeah, he's he's big there. Glad he's putting his health first. I mean, it's always sad when injury or, or health is what has to stop you, but that's usually the way of, of sports yeah. in, just in general. But uh, he's in a place where he doesn't have, to, like you say, like he doesn't. We're not going to see him on an indie show wrestling. Put his money away. He's in a good position now. Yeah, good for Triple H. Like I'm glad he's he's smart enough to be like, yeah, we're done with <laughs> with in ring. Don't need to do it anymore. Right. And if you're listening, man, just I I always appreciate it how you treated me, and how I've seen you treat other people. And I hope I get to, to see you again soon, man. All right? So be at peace with where you are because you've earned it, buddy. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. We have a main event on Saturday, what, whatever this one's called, UFC Fight Night 6 billion or whatever it might be. Uh, when you look at the main event, Curtis Blades versus Chris Dawkins, UFC Columbus, right, Kel? That's, that's, God, that's where we're going? Like, this is why they keep me around. Oh, I do, but You're never in the that's why I keep you around. But look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm looking right now at the Wikipedia page. UFC Fight Night, Blades versus Dawkins, also known as UFC Fight Night 205. UFC on ESPN Plus, 63. ESPN Columbus. That's why we do that. There are like nine names for these things these days, okay? (laughs) Fine. UFC, let's call it UFC Columbus. Is that cool? Is that all right, Kel? Can we do that? I like that. Short, sweet, to the point. All right. UFC Columbus, however you want to put it. Um, Chris Dawkins versus Curtis Blades. Two heavyweights who are... Very different in rank, Curtis Blades, um, just outside of the title picture. It just is what it is. He's always been there, but not number one. There, but not fighting for a title. Maybe the best right now in the heavyweight division to not, having not fought for a title as, as long as he's been in it, which is a little interesting. But 
right now, Chris Dock is sitting at number nine. Tom Aspinall went from 11 to six, which bumped everybody below him down one spot, which is incredible. But uh, Tom Aspinall at number six. Derek Lewis at number five. Curtis Blades at number four. Number three is Tai Tuovasa. Number two is Stipe Miocic. Number one is Cyril Gaon. The champ, of course, Francis Ngannou, undergoing knee surgery, will be about out about a year. Got to have the surgery. Nine months of recovery. Uh, you got to get cleared. You got to go through a camp. It's not like, oh, nine months and you, know, you fight. No, you got to get ready for the fight. Let's say a year optimistically for Francis Ngannou. Certainly a possibility. So... What are the stakes then for this fight? Where does the winner go? What does the, the, where does the loser go? Winner, loser, what happens to him? This is what both guys had to say at media day for UFC Columbus. Okay, so let's go with Curtis Blades first over what a win does for him. He is highly ranked. He, you don't just get ranked for nothing. So, yeah, uh, uh, a win over him. Um, hopefully a finish over him that keeps me in title contention because, yeah, we don't know what's going on with Stipe, John, Gan, Nganu. There's a lot of just uh, uh, stagnation. So I'm just really just trying to maintain my position. Yeah. And the interesting thing is it's it's a kind of a holding pattern for him, it's going to be difficult without some favorable matchmaking for him to rise above where he is. He's at number four, tied to Avasa at three. People have talked about tied to Avasa, Stipe Miocic happening. We've also talked about Stipe Miocic versus John Jones. We've talked about Cyril Gaon being somewhere in there because they need to do an interim title fight. So we don't know which one will happen. It might be Cyril Gaon, John Jones, and then Stipe Miocic versus Tai Tuovasa. Curtis Blades sitting at number four. Curtis Blades is the only one that we haven't really discussed being in this title mix. I would say Tom Aspinall right now leapt over both Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades, even though they're ranked ahead of him. I think if, if push came to shove and they needed somebody for an interim title fight, they're going to choose Tom Aspinall over Curtis Blades or Derek Lewis. So he's really behind the eight ball here for a couple of reasons. Number one, every time it's been step up, you win this one, it's, it's title time, he's lost. Twice to Francis Ngannou, the same guy. And then the last time out, that knockout loss to Derek Lewis, which really derailed his momentum. That fight really killed him. I believe that. If we look back on his career and he never fights for a title or he's never champion – I would look at Derek Lewis, February 20th, 2021, as the, the, the turning point in his career. He had beaten Justin Willis, uh, Shamil uh, Abdurahimov, Junior Dos Santos, Alexander Volkov, and he had been dominant in those performances. A win over Derek Lewis, and he takes on Cyril Gaon for the interim title. And he might win that. He loses to Derek Lewis, beats Jairinho Rosenstrike. But that was kind of his, okay, you win this, you're in, and he lost. And he lost by knockout. So it really derailed him. And so that's number one, is the losses at the wrong time have really killed him. The second thing is he tends to fight conservatively. In the heavyweight division, that typically isn't your fast track to the top. 
Francis Ngannou makes people look like human Pez dispensers. Curtis Blades tends to out-wrestle them. 15 wins, 5 by decision. And the Volkov fight, really one-sided, really boring. Rosenstrike, same deal. Uh, Justin Willis, same thing. Mark Hunt, same thing. And that was the first fight I called in the UFC. It was him versus Mark Hunt. And he basically just, just took Mark Hunt down and was able to keep him there, and that was about it. Crowd was booing, but it is what it is. Volkov fight, same thing. Doesn't care. He's easy to overlook stylistically. He does have some great performances. Like I said, the Alistair Overham fight was really, really good. Junior Dos Santos, that was a great knockout. But it's easy to look past the guy because of his style. Kelly, you mentioned how uh, he, he can fight conservatively, and you expect a boring fight this Saturday. Is that why? I expect a boring fight Saturday if the fight goes the way Curtis Blades wants it to go. If Chris Dawkins is able to control the tempo and make it a Chris Dawkins fight, I don't expect it to be nearly as boring. But if it's Curtis Blades just mauling Chris Dawkins for five rounds, then yes, it's going to be extremely boring. The problem is that you can't really get around is he has the physical tools to kind of make it his kind of fight. He just does. He's tall. He's rangy. He's a great wrestler. It's hard to make him fight. Uh, it's hard to make him fight in a way he doesn't want to. That, that makes sense. Just the way Curtis Blades is, it's hard to get him to fight a way that that he doesn't want to. And that I think is going to be on display big time in this fight, especially when he can't afford to lose. He cannot. And when I when I when I ask myself. Who needs this this win more? Curtis Blades has had more fights. He just has. Okay, he's 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 had more fights. Um, he's a bit more established as a name. Always a fringe contender. You could argue that he just has more room to fall, which is possible. But the other side of it is what we know him as is kind of a boring guy who is always at the fringe. If he loses again, I think that's it for him at the elite level. There are certain people that the um, that the UFC and the matchmakers and everything are, are, are more than happy to move past. They're good, and they keep their ranking because they keep winning, but the UFC would very much like to move past them. John Fitch is probably the all-time great example. Dude kept winning, but the UFC could not wait to get past him. But as soon as he, as soon as he lost, he was like, "Well, he he was done." They couldn't wait to move past him as a contender. That's where I put Curtis Blades. I think he really needs to win because as soon as he loses, and the UFC can put him on the back burner, they will. That's always been their thing with him, and I don't think that changes. Chris Dawkins is a guy who knocks mother effers out. Still does. Still knocks guys out. So what does he think he can do with the win over Curtis Blades? That's the question. Remember, UFC Columbus Media Day. This is Chris Dawkins about a win over Curtis Blades. Does a win over a guy like Curtis Blades put you right back where you were before, or do you think it needs, you know, you need one or two? No, more? I'm right there. No, no, I'm right there. He's he's number four. Um, in my opinion, you, you keep what you kill. I take his spot. I take number four spot. I'm right there. 
Uh, look what Ty did. Ty, you know, beat Derek. He jumped up to number three. There's absolutely no reason why I shouldn't jump to number four. And then whatever the UFC wants to do after, after that, um, you know, Ty's there. Tom just fought last week. He called out Ty. So I don't know what what the whole matchmaking skills is going to be, but I'm really not focused on that. I'm just focused on Curtis. Right. So here's the deal. He knocks people out. He's aesthetically more pleasing than Curtis Blades. And that's the key to his success so far. That's really been what has has worked for him. When you look at his record, you got 12 wins, 11 knockouts. You had what? Uh, what, five in a row? Leading into his loss to Derek Lewis. Once again, he was primed to be that next standout heavyweight and just lost. It is what it is. First loss in his, in his UFC career. Three performance of the night bonuses in his last four fights. That says a lot. A guy like that, they want. A guy like that, they will get, they will, um, they, a guy like that, they will give more opportunities to. One of the reasons, and Kel, since we've discussed this and, and, and how strange you find it, I am going to break this down a little bit. You tell me if I'm explaining it in a way that makes sense. Is that cool? Can you do that for me? I can do that for you. Oh, okay. Tai Tuolasa. The idea that this guy, is the number three heavyweight in the world, you find a bit surprised. It's like, it's like it's weird to say it, yes? Am I wrong? Yeah, I just feel like in a weight class that had Stipe Miocic at the top for so long, suddenly tied to Ivasa sprung into the top three. It's so crazy to me. It is. But here's why. He had three losses in a row, Junior Dos Santos, Blagoja Vanov, Sergei Spivak. Then he was given Stefan Struve, Harry Hunsaker, Greg Hardy. All of them strikers with limited skills that were going to stand in front of him and either knock him out or get knocked out. And they all got knocked out. All of them in the first round. So he was gifted three guys who, whom he knew he could knock out. Then Augusto Sakai, a versatile striker for sure, a guy who's light on his feet, a guy with uh, a lot of offensive weapons, but generally a striker. Augusto Sagai is going to stand in front of you. And he did, and he got knocked out in round two. Then Derek Lewis, a stand and bang kind of striker who is going to stand in front of you and knock you out or get knocked out. And he got knocked out in round two. Three performances of the night in a row. If they like you, you're doing shoeies. People are people want to see if you control an entire market, meaning down under they love some tied to Avasa. In Australia, in New Zealand, the guy puts asses in seats. He sells pay-per-views. That three-fight losing streak, they will rehabilitate you. They will give you the right guys to get you back on your feet or knock you out, and you just don't belong here. That's a possibility. But he was given the right matchups to get back on top. First off, Kelly, do you agree with what I'm saying? He was given the right kind of matchups to get back where he needed to be. Absolutely. Right. The second thing I will say is, or ask you about is, given his history, given his style, given his uh, tendency to fight safe, do you think that uh, Curtis Blades would be given that kind of treatment if he went on a losing streak? 
No. Curtis Blades yes. does nothing for really anybody on the microphone when he talks. He doesn't do anything fun. He's not... His performances inside of the Octagon aren't fun in particular. Like, generally, he's no had some good ones, but it. yes, generally he can play it safe. Right. Right. So to me, that's why I load this in a sense in favor of Chris Dawkins. He's going to get that push even if he loses. They'll go, okay, you lost to Curtis Blades. Sucks, but we like the way you knock guys out. We are going to give you another opportunity. You are going to get the favorable favorable matchups that will rehabilitate you. I am sorry. Curtis Blades will not get the favorable matchups that will rehabilitate him if that happens to him. I really believe that. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.